Amen. If you have your Bibles in, I hope you do. Go with me to the little book of 3 John. 3 John. The title of the message this morning is How to Have a Healthy Soul. Over the next few days, many people are going to make decisions about their health. Experts tell us that 42% of all American adults will go on a diet during the month of January. January is by far the biggest month for new gym signups. And yes, it is true that 67% of the people who sign up for a membership in January will not be at the gym six months later. But I want to encourage you, if you want to lose weight or get fit, I am cheering you on. 40% of Americans are obese. That's up 10% from the year 2010, costing a price tag of $210 million in medical cost every year. Not million, excuse me, billion. The vast majority of us could be better stewards of our bodies. But today, I'm not as concerned about your physical health as I am your spiritual health. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that the pastor is to bring the saints to maturity so they can build up the body of Christ. One of my responsibilities is to feed the flock so they can be strong and healthy spiritually. So you could say this, the pastor is something of a spiritual fitness instructor and a nutritionist. As someone who observes spiritual health, most Christians fit into one of three categories. Many Christians are underfed. Their spiritual intake is anemic. Their prayer life is puny. Their heart is diseased by some prevailing sin. Underfed Christians are especially prone to addiction and uh, prevailing sins. They have a low emotional immunity, prone to fits of anger or depression. Underfed Christians are led by their emotions. If they feel like reading their Bible, they feel it, or they do it. If they don't feel like it, they don't do it. If they feel like getting up and coming to church on Sunday, they come. If they don't feel like it, they don't. Many American Christians are underfed. And the underlying cause is not a lack of access to spiritual food. There's more spiritual food available now than there ever has been. An abundance of Bible study resources and sermons on podcasts. The underlying cause is not a lack of access. It's a lack of appetite. They fill themselves with the world's junk food. And when they're offered with something that will strengthen and mature them, they're just not that interested. Underfed Christians are unhealthy Christians. So many Christians are underfed. Many Christians are overweight. And don't get mad at me. I'm talking spiritual, not physical, okay? Intake is not the problem. Output is the problem. They're sluggish in service. They're out of shape when it comes to outreach. They're lethargic in loving others. They are feeble in their faith. Some Christians, the most developed spiritual muscle they have is their backside because they think sitting is their spiritual gift. Overall, they are flabby, draggy, and drowsy. But they're not upset about it because they can pass a Bible doctrines test. Folks, that is not health, it's disease. So many Christians are underfed. Many others are overweight. Then there is a third type of Christian, and that is the healthy Christian. Not perfect, but healthy. Today we're going to meet a man in the scriptures who is memorialized forever because he had a healthy soul. His name is Gaius. And the Apostle John writes him a little, a little letter that we know as 3 John. Look with me at 3 John verse 1. 
the elder, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I want to call your attention again to verse 2. Look there, if you will. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospered. Gaius was obviously a man that the apostle John dearly loved. And apparently Gaius had some kind of physical disease or sickness. We're not told what it was. As you would do for any of your friends, you would pray that they would get better and that the Lord would heal them. And he prayed that Gaius' body would be just as healthy and just as prosperous as his soul. Think about that. Now, we can tell just by looking at most people whose body is healthy. It's easy for us to see. But no one but you and God know whether your soul is healthy. And I want you to think with me for a few moments this morning. What if God granted the prayer request of John for every person here? What if in the miracle of a moment, our bodies reflected our souls? What if our physical health matched our spiritual health? No doubt many of us would be transformed and might be stronger and healthier and more beautiful and more handsome if that uh, transformation were to take place. No doubt many would need an ambulance to drag us away from church today. The you that all of us would see if the Apostle John's prayer request was answered is the real you. That's the you that God sees. That's the you that God knows. That's the you that is going to stand before the Lord Jesus one day and give an account of the life that you lived. That is the you that's going to live forever. If the Lord Jesus does not return first, they're going to put our bodies in the grave somewhere. Our physical health will deteriorate. But your soul will live forever, and the health of your soul is your real health. And I want to ask you today, how healthy are you spiritually? Would you be comfortable if that kind of transformation were to take place this morning? If you would not be comfortable with that, if you would not want your physical health to mirror your spiritual health, then I want you to take action. Take some steps this morning to cultivate a healthy soul. You say, Pastor, what is a healthy soul? How would I know if I had it? What are we really aiming for? Well, Gaius is the prototype of a man with a healthy soul. And there were two characteristics that dominated his spiritual life. Apparently, some folks had gone away from John and brought him back a report. He wanted to know how Gaius was doing. 
They said Gaius' life is defined by two things. Number one, he walks in truth. Number two, he lives in love. And if you want to begin the new year with a healthy soul, you must hold those spiritual realities in balance. You must walk in truth. You must live in love. We'll handle the first this morning. We'll handle the last next Sunday. If you want to be a spiritually healthy person in 2024, we notice in the first place, you must walk in truth. Now, 3 John is the shortest book in all the Bible. Only 13 verses. In only 13 verses, John mentions the truth six times. We're told in verse 1 that he loved Gaius in the truth. In verse 2, we're told that the truth was in Gaius. In verses 3 and 4, we're told twice that Gaius walked in the truth. John encourages him in verse 8 to continue loving his brothers so that he might be a fellow helper to the truth. Why was Gaius spiritually healthy? He had a healthy relationship with the truth. And if you're going to have a healthy soul, a soul that prospers, it begins with your relationship with the truth. I want you to notice this morning the truth that he possessed. The truth that he possessed. You might take the occasion to mark in these eight verses all of the times that truth are mentioned. If you do that, you notice that in all but one of them, truth is qualified by a definite article. We're not talking about a truth. We're talking about the truth. John has a particular truth in mind. He does not speak of your truth or my truth. He speaks of the truth. A truth that is absolute. A truth that is authoritative. A truth that is final. Now the background of this book is that the truth was under attack in the first century. Read 2 John this afternoon. It will really help you to understand 3 John. False teachers were traveling from church to church teaching error that Jesus Christ had not been manifest in the flesh. In the letter that precedes this letter in 2 John, he tells a particular local church not to entertain these false teachers. They were not to be tolerant of error. I want you to listen to me this morning. We may be tolerant of error insofar as we say that people are free to believe error and that we will not compel them by force to believe the truth. We should be tolerant of error so far as we are kind and loving to people who do not believe the truth. But we cannot be so tolerant that we pretend that error and truth are on equal footing. Neither should we participate in error and help it spread on its way. And John commends Gaius for holding faithfully to the truth. The truth was in him and he would not budge from the truth. Now the truth was not only under attack in the first century. The truth is under attack in the 21st century. Studies tell us that 40% of all Americans now believe that truth is determined by the individual, that there is no absolute truth. Among adults under the age of 30, that number flips. 60% of adults under the age of 30 in our country believe that truth is up to the individual. Only 40% believe in any kind of absolute truth. That view of truth, that it's up to you to determine your truth, and up to me to determine my truth, is prevalent in our day. But I want you to know that it is incoherent. It makes no sense. If I were to ask you who won the Cowboys game last night, there's only one right objective answer to that question. 
Now, if you're from Michigan, you might respond, I feel as if the Lions won. From my perspective, they're the winners. There was a controversial call at the end of the game, and they should have won, so they're the winners. Folks, that answer would only fly in an Ivy League university. It wouldn't fly anywhere else because there was one objective winner last night, and thankfully it was the Cowboys. Or imagine this. Imagine an air traffic controller at DFW was speaking to a pilot who was approaching for his landing. And he says, you need to lower your altitude to 9,000 feet. Imagine the chaos if the pilot responded. I know what 9,000 feet means to me, but what does 9,000 feet mean to you? That kind of loose relationship with the truth could be deadly, couldn't it? Because there is an objective standard for altitude. People don't mind objective truth in most spheres of life, and we live that way, as if truth is an objective thing. But it seems that only in the areas of religion and morality do people prefer a subjective truth. Why is that? Because they want to worship who they want to worship and they want to do as they please. They say things like, I know my God would never tell me who to love. As if God was a piece of Play-Doh that could be fashioned according to our whims and fancies. It doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere in believing it. I sincerely wish I had a million dollars today. It does not make it so. And when John speaks of truth, he speaks about something that is objective, something that is absolute, something that's final, and that truth is to be in us. Spiritually healthy people do not construct their lives on the shifting sands of subjectivity. Spiritually healthy people construct their lives on the solid rock of God's truth. Now let's be crystal clear about the truth that we're referring to this morning. When John refers to the truth, he refers to the body of truth that God has revealed to us. See, folks, truth is how God sees a matter. And if something corresponds with how God sees a matter, it is true. If something does not correspond to how God sees a matter, it doesn't matter how dearly you hold it, it is not true. Truth is part of God's nature. It's one of his characteristics and attributes. One day, 2,000 years ago, that truth was incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ. John wrote, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus claimed to be the truth incarnated, the truth personified. Jesus spoke the truth. In John 8, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As he was leaving the world, he promised to send the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, he called him, that would lead his disciples into the truth. And in the early days of the church, the apostles declared the truth. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So stay with me. 
Christ embodied the truth. The apostles preached the truth. And then at the end of their lives, through the person of the Holy Spirit, the truth was inscripturated in the Bible. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Peter said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What I'm trying to say this morning is that truth came into this world through the person of Jesus Christ. The apostles declared that truth in the infant days of the early church. As they were passing away, the Holy Spirit inspired them to record that truth in the document we know as the New Testament. So when we speak of the final authoritative objective truth, we speak of the body of truth revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ and recorded under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the pages of the Bible. That truth is objective not subjective. It is revealed by God, not discovered from within. It is final, not evolving or progressing. It binds our interpretations of reality. Our interpretations of reality do not bind it. And Christians cannot afford to have a loose relationship with the truth. It is by believing the truth that one becomes a Christian In the first place. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 1. In whom he also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Romans said, so faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One cannot be a Christian without believing that the gospel is true and absolutely true. And the basis of the authority of that truth comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the inspired word of God. We as Christian people are supposed to be people who know and believe the truth. We believe there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe this God is the creator of all things, both seen and unseen. We believe God came into this world in the person of his son. We believe he possesses a nature that is both human and divine. We believe he lived a sinless life. We believe he died a substitutionary, sacrificial death. We believe he physically rose from the dead. And we believe there is one way of salvation. A person must repent of their sins and trust in Christ by confessing him as Lord and Savior. We believe that the 66 books of the Bible are inspired by the Holy Spirit and that they are the ultimate rule of our faith and practice. These things are not true because we believe them. We believe them because they are true. So the question this morning is, do you believe them? What have you done with the claims of the gospel? If you have not believed them, you can choose to believe them today. The Philippian jailer asked Paul, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And if today you will believe that you are a sinner, you will believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, 
and you will believe that he is the only way to heaven, he will save you from your sins and give you eternal life in heaven. And you should believe those things today because they are true. And Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is where it all begins if you're going to have a healthy soul. Gaius believed truth. In a world of error, he held to the truth. He possessed the truth. It was in him. But I want you to know this morning, that is only the first step to spiritual health. And many people think that because they believe the truth, that's all there is to it. Gaius was not spiritually healthy because he merely believed the truth. We're told twice he walked in the truth. So we notice not only the truth that he possessed, but I want you to notice the truth that he practiced. Once we have believed the truth, we must walk in the truth. They say, Pastor, what does that mean? It's really not that complicated. But listen to what John Stott wrote. He said, to walk in the truth is more than to give assent to it. It means to apply it to one's behavior. Whoever walks in the truth is an integrated believer in whom there is no dichotomy between profession and practice. On the contrary, there is in him an exact correspondence between creed and conduct. Do you see that? Spiritually healthy people close the gap between the truth that they uh, profess and the truth that they practice. There is truth that we profess as believers, but that truth is to work its way into our life and we are to practice it. And that is spiritual health. For instance, we all believe in the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ, don't we? And we're going to have a beautiful picture of that love as we come to the Lord's table here in just a moment. In love, he gave his body to be broken. In love, he shed his blood to cover our sins. We all believe in the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian without believing in that. It is an essential of our faith. But here's what John is saying in 3 John. It's quite profound. If we really believe that, if it's in us, if we bring it into our lives, it will eventually be evidenced in the way that we live. If a man says that he believes in the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ, and that's the thing that saves him and defines him, that will eventually be evidenced by the way he loves his wife and by the way he treats his children. People who believe the gospel become like the gospel. But if we never become like it, we need to question whether we truly believe it. If it's in you, it will come out of you. You won't just believe it. You'll walk in it. John makes that case in verses 8 through 11. He speaks about a man by the name of Diotrephes. And this man loved to have the preeminence. He was a a professing believer. He claimed to believe the truth, but his actions told another story. Look at what John said about him in verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Folks, this is strong. The way that you can tell whether someone is truly of God, John says, is on the basis of what they do. Now the word do here is in the present tense, which indicates an ongoing habitual action. 
What John is saying is that people who are of God, who have a relationship with God, will be characterized by an ongoing lifestyle of doing good. Not that they're perfect in doing good, but that it is the habit of their lives. They walk in the truth. On the other hand, John says, no matter how loudly a person may profess to believe the truth, no matter what position they may have in the church or what grade they might get on a Bible doctrines test, if they do evil as the habit of their lives, they are not of God. This gets down to where the rubber meets the road. We love to shout about the things that we believe and profess. But John says if you truly believe the truth, you will walk in it. This is why, for instance, New Year's resolutions don't usually work. And if you make them, I'm cheering you on, okay? Many times, New Year's resolutions don't work because we try to change what we do without changing who we are. New beginnings are not the result of the turning of a calendar page. They are the result of trusting Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, Behold, I make all things new. Paul said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he begins to change who you are. And as he changes who you are, he changes what you do. And let me say, if what you do is not changing, you need to ask yourself whether he has changed who you are. Spiritually healthy people close the gap between the truth they profess and the truth they practice. Spiritually unhealthy people live in that gap. They know their bodies belong to God, but they practice immorality with their bodies and put things into their bodies that displease God. They live in a gap between what they profess and what they practice. Spiritually unhealthy people, for instance, know that they are forgiven by God and they're supposed to forgive others, but they harbor anger and resentment and bitterness in their hearts. Spiritually unhealthy people know they are saved because someone got the gospel to them, They know they ought to give the gospel to other people, but their belief never crosses the line to behavior. The result of professing truth and not practicing it is a tormented conscience, is disrupted fellowship with God. It is a grieving of the Holy Spirit. Translation, an unhealthy soul. Why are so many Christians unhealthy? Because there is a truth they know is true and they claim to believe it, but they will not live it. And the gap between those two things is a place of misery and spiritual sickness. I want you to look again at verse four. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in And ladies and gentlemen, that's where the joy of the Christian life is. You will have no greater joy as a believer than when you begin to walk in truth. The people who have invested in you will have no greater joy than when they see you walking in truth. And by the way, ultimately you will bring joy to the heart of God because that's what God wants for all of us, for us to walk in truth. The point of the message this morning is very simple. Spiritual health begins with your relationship 
with the truth. You can't be healthy and underfed. You can't walk in truth if you don't know the truth, amen? amen. So why don't you make the decision as we go into a brand new year that you're going to feed and nourish your soul with the word of God. Maybe you got away from that last year. Make the decision today. In 2024, I'm going to get back in the truth and I'm going to get the truth in me so I can walk in truth and I can have no greater joy. Amen. That's where the joy is. Let me say this. You can't be healthy and underfed. Neither can you be healthy and overweight. Let's be real honest for a minute. For most of us, the problem is not that we don't know the truth. For most of us, the problem is that we don't walk in the truth we know. Today is the day to confess and forsake that old sin. Today is the day to surrender to that calling. Today is the day for you to finally narrow the gap between the truth that you just profess and the truth that you practice. Reject hypocrisy. Reject it. And embrace healthy Christianity. As we close, I want you to ask yourself this question. What would happen in my life to me as an individual if John prayed for me what he prayed for Gaius? What if my physical health was an exact mirror to my spiritual health? Whatever that would look like, ladies and gentlemen, that's the you that God sees on December the 31st, 2023, today, right where you sit. And if you're not comfortable with that, by all means, come and change it. And you can. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for a man in the Bible. And you told us that he had a healthy soul. With all my heart, that's what I want. I'm thankful that there was a time in Gaius' life when someone gave the truth of the gospel to him. He made the choice to believe it. And that truth was in him. And if there is someone here who has never made that important choice, I pray today they will make it because that's where everything begins. For the rest of us today, my guess is that there is at least some gap in the life of every believer between the truth that we know and the truth that we obey. And may we make the decision today to surrender those sins to you to be obedient to your calling upon our lives and to narrow that gap so we can have healthy souls. With every head bowed and every eye closed, a healthy relationship with God, is that what you want? A healthy relationship with God begins with believing the truth. Have you ever believed it today? Believe that you were a sinner. Believe that Jesus died. Believe he rose again. Believe that he's the only way of salvation. Now, as concepts, most every person in a church on a Sunday morning would agree to that. Just believing those things are true is believing in history. History will not save you. You must make it personal. You must say, not only do I believe that Jesus died, I believe he died for me, and that he can and will forgive my sins and that he's my Savior and my Lord. I wonder, have you ever made that truth personal? Have you ever personally confessed Christ as Lord and Savior? 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you would say, Pastor Gillette, I'm not sure I've ever personally believed the truth, that I've not ever personally confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you be honest enough to lift your hand this morning so I can pray for you? I'm not talking to the person next to you, not talking to your mom or your dad, your grandma or grandfather. What is your relationship with the truth of the gospel this morning? How many of you would say, I'm not sure I've ever personally believed it? If that's you, would you lift your hand with mine? I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask all of God's people to be very honest. We are in church after all. (laughs) During the message today, the Holy Spirit convicted me about some specific area of my life. There is a gap between the truth I say I believe and the truth I live. Now, I don't want the misery of being stuck in that gap. I want the joy of walking in the truth. And if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart about something personal this morning and specific, would you lift your hand with mine? I want to pray for you. Hands all over the room. Now I want you to know that the man preaching this message has been just as convicted as anybody sitting in the auditorium. If you raised your hand, I would encourage you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have already heard it today. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Come and get it today. Close that gap. Walk in truth. Perhaps as you enter into a new year, you'd like to dedicate your life to Christ anew and afresh. Perhaps to reading the word and praying, being a witness in the upcoming year. You know how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You be obedient during this invitation. Father, thank you again for your word. Help us this year to walk in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.